0: What I want to do this evening is, I mean, like, a, uh, I grew up in the Baptist church, like a good Baptist. I'm not having three points this evening, but like Dylan likes to do, there's a title to the message, and my title of my message is Responding Practically, Practically to a Word from God, and I'm taking you back three weeks when Dylan preached that message where he uh, well, had a sermon and that he had prepared, and God just changed it. I mean, I said to uh, Karen that I said in the prayer meeting don't have any words that change the sermon. I've got a preach preach off the cuff. I've got my notes all already here. Firstly, I need to uh, say two things. I am the chief of sinners, as Paul says. I have come a long road and God has done amazing things, but I'm not perfect and I'm preaching the second thing, I'm preaching to myself what God's done in the last three weeks. Dylan said the same thing. It's you know, we if we're not preaching to ourselves Uh, I think, not that it's arrogance, but I think we need to realize that we don't have it all together, and especially after that amazing word that Dylan brought to us, almost directly from God, because he had notes, and God changed it in the prayer meeting. So during the uh, pre-service prayer meeting, God spoke through a few people, and this led Dylan to change his, his preach. He put it aside, and God put something new on his heart, and that's often difficult for those of us who have preached often you know when you don't have your notes or you have to just go off the cuff you really have to uh, rely on God. Uh, Charles Spurgeon the famous preacher said in his lectures to my students his notes he said when you prepare you prepare as if there's no Holy Spirit to help you and then when you preach you preach as if you only have the Holy Spirit and you never prepared any notes. I think you need that dependency. And I think that's what we, we see, the the vulnerability and the openness and the honesty of, of, a, of a leader like Dylan, where he's prepared to change tack and listen to God. And I I, I just want to emphasize the beginning that when a message happens like that, if you haven't taken note and you haven't uh, listened to it and you haven't uh, responded to it, you need to really question your your heart because that was directly from God as a corporate word to us you know he challenged us on on how you start and how you and how you finish I missed the preach I wasn't here I had to I had to leave early and um, the following week in our community uh, I I took the message said come on guys let's listen to it and see what what God was saying halfway through we stopped and we discussed it and then at the end of that, I, I challenged people. I said, you know, over the next week, examine your own hearts and see if God is saying something. And uh, I expected, well, God's going to do something. People are going to be introspective and look at, it, look at, the, at the whole um, message. But I didn't realize that something remarkable would happen in my heart, uh, a direct challenge to me personally. It was quite a turning point, a transforming point. We uh, we've s- struggled uh, throughout lockdown. Towards the end of last year, I got sick, and over Christmas, Josh Jen sort of uh, closes down. Everyone goes on holiday, and then the New Year started. Things didn't go well, and then we, had, we struggled. Then COVID, and then a whole bunch of things. So there was plenty of, of uh, plenty of things that really robbed us. Of what God wanted for us, and in the pre service prayer meeting, uh, Karen mentioned that God had laid on her heart rest and having that rest in the midst of the storm when things are really going on. Often it's difficult. I mean, Jesus lay in the boat sleeping while the storm raged, and they had to wake him to say, Hey, there's a storm raging, you know. And, and sometimes we need to be in that uh, position of rest. So, I want to make a challenge to you. This is not a rhetorical question, you can put your hands up. How many of you take notes, listen to the preach again during the week, discuss it, take it to heart, meditate on on the message? How many many of you do that? There's a few people who do that. Uh, And my question to you is, how do you remember the message? I I get accused by my family of having a lawyer's mind, and I remember every jot and tittle and detail, and I don't uh, remember what was going on. So my challenge to you is, if we have a significant message, and I'm not saying my my significant my message tonight is significant, I'm referring back to something that was really significant. Saying, how should we respond? We heard from God through our our, our elder, and uh, he brought the message. Now it's time for us. So as I said, I'm preaching to myself as well. I've still got a lot of work to do. There's lots of I've listened to his message seven times. Each time I listen to it, there's something more because it had that weightiness. Uh, of a message from God that doesn't always come come through. Uh, you know we we find it so easy to sit in church, and I've got to raise my got to raise my hand as a uh, a chief of sinners again. And uh, we sit there thinking about supper, going to coffee with someone afterwards. Uh, we stress about the rest of the week, and and we wonder how we're going to resolve things. And I I do that. Phones are so easy to have. You you just got to quickly check a WhatsApp or an email that's come through. So my question to myself was, when when I listened to Dylan, was this message so transformational that it impacted me more than many other preachers over the years? Was it that transformational? Or did I take note of the message and listen to what God was saying to me personally through the message? And I had to give it a lot of thought because it there was a response I had to make. And I had to th- I had to think about it and say, you know, uh, am I taking note? Am I listening? Let him who has ears, I've got rather big ones, let him let him hear, and or let her hear. And so often we don't. Listen to what God is saying, and in the uh, the noise and the clatter and what goes on in the world, there's so, so much challenging us for attention and my response was to God and not to another preach by Dylan. Something came through to me that said i mean I, I made a list of things, and I met with Dylan the next day and I said. Bro, I think I've got a preacher coming on. He said, well, how about weekend after next? I thought, oh, oh my word. I didn't mean it like that. I mean, that's the, re- that's the result of this. And what I found was that obedience to God will always result in some form of change in our lives. Now, that ob- obedience might be a, a small step. It might be a big step. You might have, have major issues in your life which you need to correct, that you need to make a big step. Others might just need to take a half step to bring themselves back into line with what God is saying, and being obedient, so it was a big wake-up call for me, if this was a significant word, then we need a significant response, I know in my heart, I can't, I, I don't know what's going in, in, in the hearts of other people, but I know the significance of that word, it was bigger than just for me, much, much bigger, and, and so my next question is, are you listening to God through God's mouthpiece, which just happens to be Dylan and mainly and other people who come in and, and preach? Are you listening to what's happening? If Dylan spends a whole week preparing and listening to God and asking God what I should preach about and then preach it a couple of times to Hiker and then, you know, really pray about it, I'm sure beyond a doubt that there's something to that message that God wants us corporately to hear. Don't, don't give up personal responsibility that you need to see God, read his word, and allow God to speak to you through his word. You, you're not negating that and saying, well, I'm just going to come sit in church. I'm going to take notes, and that's my weekly uh, message from God, hearing God's voice. No, it doesn't work like that. But there still is a responsibility for us corporately. How is God leading uh, us forward? And, you know, this places a huge responsibility on our elders to hear clearly from God. It puts the pressure on our eldership couples that we need to hear what God is saying to the congregation because we are taking the lead and leading people forward. And for us as members, it's not for us to worry about this responsibility. Are they really hearing God for for us? It's our responsibility to be obedient and listen to what God is saying. there's, There's plenty, you know... Those of us who have a, a, a military background, when we get told to jump, we don't say why, we say how high. I mean, that's the, that's the response of obedience. That story of the centurion who came to Jesus, and he says, I'm a man under authority. My most favorite scripture, I have a, the background in, in the in the New Testament. I'm a man under authority. I tell someone to go, and he goes. And, and that there's, there's great security in something like that. There's always a recourse. You go to the one person above the person. You go all up, Andrew, and then finally God, and uh, you can get it sorted out if you disagree with something that's taken place, if you really feel it wasn't a, a right decision. So after many hours of preparation, prayer, and seeking God, the message that our leaders bring to us, and then we sit, we have a sneak peek at WhatsApp, Facebook, check some email, whisper reminders to our spouses think about other distractions on our minds how we're we going to sort out that conflict we had before we came to to church there are so many dis- distractions and what really really ministered to me that time was young Rosie Jones she's only 15 stood up and gave that prophetic word about distractions that was a word from God that wasn't a word from a 15 year old who might just want to have a say about something because we are distracted. I am distracted. I allow I, I the things, what's coming up, I have an online business, you know, will sales be coming in while I'm at church? I think like that. And if I'm thinking like that, I, I would consider myself pretty average. There's other people who are thinking just like, we, like I do. So we have to not allow the distractions to overtake us. Again, I'm as I said, I'm Chief of sinners. You'll hear that lots through because I'm preaching to myself as we as we go along. We do not always, as we should, sit there and think, what is God saying to me this evening through the message? What is God saying to me this evening through the message? I think that the biggest fault we have in our lives for not hearing the voice of God for ourselves in our conversation is by allowing ourselves to be distracted and letting the cares of daily life creep in and crowd out the possibility of hearing what what God is saying. When I was preparing, I wasn't sure if this was a preach or a testimony. You know, it's so interwoven with the two. Again, so what should our response be? Back to Dylan's message, many of us hear this, preach like this, and you know, he used the example of Carmen, that old gospel singer, and the song, Radically Saved. Now, I wasn't radically saved. I didn't have a dramatic salvation. I, I have been, this year, on my wife's birthday, I've been saved 55 years. I've been serving God. I wasn't a wretched, desperate sinner needing transformation from old to new. I was a little seven-year-old who knelt next to my bed after my Sunday school teacher had spoken to me and asked Jesus into my life. And this train of thought can be a hindrance rather than a blessing at times. Because for some of us, it was that simple act of obedience, a response to uh, the need and acknowledgement that we need salvation. Then simple repentance, nothing uh, dramatic, no life of sin. I mean, we're saying uh, of course, there's sin involved even if you are a seven-year-old, but n- nothing major involved. And the zeal and enthusiasm that Dylan spoke about, uh, I just didn't identify with it. I didn't have that when I was saved. There's no bells and whistles. I went out afterwards, and the Sunday school teacher was there, and we uh, had supper. You know, there was nothing dramatic. But that zeal and enthusiasm for God, the radically saved idea, came at a later time in my life. And for many of us, that's what happens. We grow into our salvation. We experience more of God. Sometimes in radical ways. It might be a water baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit, a missions chip, trip. Uh, it might be a healing that dramatically influences us and 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 create that incredible experience. So it w- it was. Never, that initial "I am radically saved," but a later experience. So, does that exclude you? Does that include you? I don't know if any people had that that a similar experience, not starting your salvation experience with a dramatic bang. So, what should we be asking ourselves? Where, where was the last experience of zeal and enthusiasm you might be going through a bit of a desert experience the world's creeping in financial hassles work hassles health hassles and we have the ability when things are going well to deal with those but when they don't we go through that desert experience um What would awaken me to the things of God and not sleeping in the things of God, as Matt shared on that day? That I would not be comfortable and do the same things over and over as Cleone shared. Or that Rosie shared on being distracted when I should be focused on seeking God. We had four very specific words in that service and significant words. And so often when we're sitting and listening to a service, a sermon, We're waiting for triggers that say to us, Well, that excludes me. Okay, I didn't have a salvation experience like that. Then uh, I haven't sinned like that, so that excludes me. Uh, I didn't do that, so that excludes me. So we start this uh, train of excuses and exclusions from what the preacher is saying. And we start looking for disqualifications, why we shouldn't need to respond to that part of the message instead of including ourselves. Uh, Again, I've got to raise my hand guilty. I do that and by the end of the service, and I've watched people getting ministered to and repenting, I'm not part of it. And I don't know uh, if it's a withdrawal because I've got all these things lined up Say, well, it doesn't include me. Instead, we should be saying How does this apply to me in some small way? A a small blockage in a narrow pipe blocks it completely, just as much as a big blockage in a big pipe blocks it completely. So it's not how much of that word. There's also there's always something we are missing. So when Dill preached about that experience, whatever it was to you, you, me, we're included. There's something unless we're perfect. And I can categorically say that out of all the people here today, none of us are perfect. There will always be something in some way that God's going to be speaking to us. So when God brings a message from the left field, as they say in baseball, totally unexpected, we need to listen. We need to pay attention. Uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, Paul says to the young Timothy that he should fan into flame the gift of God, uh, other Translations say, stir up the gift of God. So it applies to all of us, maybe to different degrees, different amounts. But we need to take cognizance of the fact that we can't sit on the sideline, we can't uh, apply as and when we feel like it. We need to be open to the Holy Spirit and that conviction of Something small or something big? The, the verse I understand is applying passion, persistence, and devotion to Timothy 1 verse 6. Let's go back to Acts two forty two to 47. If you've been in Josh Jen for a while, you know that's one of the key verses, that New Testament DNA that we focus on. For me, the whole of the New Testament, I look through the lens of Acts 2, 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves, I'm reading from New Living Translation. All the the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and devoted themselves, I'm adding in just because that's what it means, to fellowship and devoted themselves to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and devoted themselves to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place. And shared everything they had. They sold their property, possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That word devotion is a very, very strong strong word. And I'm taking it back to fanning into flames because uh, it's... Fanning into flames is more than just fanning into flames. There must be passion and commitment and that devotion. The dictionary definition of devotion, I've got a couple. Love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity. Profound dedication. The act of spending a lot of time or energy on something. The strong love that you show when you pay a lot of attention to someone or something. The use of time, money, energy, etc. for a particular purpose. This is displayed a lot in our daily lives. If you know somebody and they talk about one particular thing, you know they're passionate about it. It dominates their lives. It just through their actions and their body language, you know what, what really uh, gets them going. Uh, my family will tell you immediately, there's a couple of them here tonight, uh, exactly what lights my fires and what gets me going and makes me passionate. But even looking across this congregation, uh, we can identify the many passions and devotions. You look at the Munt family. A devotion and a passion to bring that little girl from the hills of the trans sky into family and the whole adoption process. Sometimes they've got to preach their, their testimony. It's a long journey. I mean, you take Dylan, passionate about books and study. Craig, if you've ever seen someone devoted to serving... He's planning his retirement around serving. So when he retires, he's already got a weekly plan of how much extra he's going to be able to serve in the church. That's passion and devotion. I mean, you take Hiker, 365 days of cold water swimming. I mean, there's a fine line between craziness and passion as well. Jules, he talks photography all the time. The fasts, leaving their country to serve in township communities. If that's not devotion and passion, where's Thorin? You start talking bicycles to Thorin, you'll see passion there. Brett, how many, Brett didn't even look at us this evening. His eyes were closed and he worshiped passionately. You can see what drives and the gift that needs to be fanned into flame. Lara, I mean, I don't know how she's got that bakery with all those fancy things. I mean, we've walked and prayed a whole journey with that. You talk about bread. You're talking about Lara, Karen. Where were you? Where's Karen? Where were you this morning? She's a biker chick. <laughs> She's got all these leathers and boots and this huge motorbike. I mean, you you so see what passion is. In one Timothy four eleven, Paul says a couple of points. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you've received through the prophecy spoken over you. Give complete attention. To these matters, throw yourself into your task. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right. Later on, he goes in 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight for the true faith. Then he ends the book by saying, "God, what God has entrusted to you. Now, all of these were given to Timothy to encourage the young man's um, p- to pursue zeal, passion, and enthusiasm. We know Timothy as this amazing Uh, young man, but he needed Paul to remind him of the the prophetic words that were uh, given to him through laying on of hands and fanning the flames. In the same way, we need to be reminded. Now, Dylan challenged us about fighting the good fight, you know, starting the race and ending the race. It's something that is continuous and persistent we engage in conflict. That Greek word means engaging in conflict. And Paul used many uh, military analogies. We're in a battle and fighting to live out our faith against rulers and authorities. It's easy when you can see your enemy and can take a course of action, but these battles that we are facing aren't spiritual. And the reason we're being held back and we can't fan in the flames and we don't uh, persevere and persist and go forward is because there's a big spiritual battle going on. We need to be equipped. We need to resist. We need to stand our ground. We need to be alert. We need to be on our guard. We need to be clear-headed. We need to be protected by the armor of God. These are all uh, statements that come from Ephesians and Paul. Again, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. I've got to start working in this direction let me give you an illustration from my life uh, A number of you know that I'm involved with law enforcement as an auxiliary a supporter volunteer there's a team of ten of us in the South. Crime is a major battle in our communities you don't know half of what's going on in the community there's people working hard it's it's a it's a battle between uh, light and dark and it's very similar to the battle that that w- that we face as Christians except, I think it's easier because you can see what's going on. I mean, just in the last week or so, I mean, we've been involved in high-speed chases after armed robbers, car thieves, active shooters, searching gangsters, taking off drugs. I mean, these guys who've got one thing in in mind, and that's to commit a crime and destroy people's lives. Part of our team, night before last, car stops, man gets out, he's been shot, His 14-month-old, child's got two bullets in as well. I mean, these things, you realize the reality of the seriousness and the hateful crime going on there. And in order for this to happen, we make and prepare for a potential uh, fight. We have to do things. I mean, let me just give you a bit of, um, you have to be well equipped. We carry something like 15 kilograms of body armor and weapons and tactical gear we always alert we have a, a couple of color codes so you know what condition what alert state you're in we are on guard all the time simple traffic stop your, your partner's always watching what you're doing you constantly formulate i'm going explain to you why I'm, I'm telling you this you're constantly formulating plans based on these conditions we know how to use our defensive weapons and our offensive weapons we are committed slash devoted as much as you can be to a guy who swears all the time to each other with the buddy and the partner system. We make sure we don't enter a crossfire or kill zone. We carry tourniquets, trauma packs for ourselves in case we get bullet wounds or uh, stab wounds. Now all this preparedness is to win the battle in the end. So the question i ask myself is if we are so well prepared for a physical fight in every aspect against criminals both offensively and defensively, why then, and I ask my, myself again, do I not exhibit the same level of awareness that Paul calls us to in Ephesians 6 that has major spiritual spiritual and eternal implications? We have a battle that's raging. We live in Musenberg. I, th- I know three Sangomas, mediums, Hare Krishnas, uh, Various new age people, different philosophies. We're in a. Musenberg attracts people who are spiritual. They've been disillusioned by the church. They've lost it with, with Christians and uh, been treated badly. So they they're searching. So we need to be constantly aware. Let me explain those the color conditions. White is totally unaware. No police officer officer should be in white. We only have that when we are asleep. Yellow means you're aware of your environment. And we need to be just aware as Christians that there's an environment, things are going on. Orange goes, you identify an issue. You know there's something there. And especially the people, the prophetic and and words of knowledge, you know something's happening. And we need to make each other aware. Red is the target has been identified. And black, you you take action. And we need to be in this, this state of awareness and preparedness. Because if we're not we're in a battle. We're not going to get to the end of the battle. We're going to become casualties, and we do have casualties in our amongst the officers sitting, reading the newspaper in a dangerous area. Bulletproof vests off, guarding people in a dangerous area. The guys come up and just shoot both of them. They were totally unprepared. They broke the rules, but the same with us. We break the rules, and we have the prophetic. We have those words. The youngster's giving us words. These are words to tell us to be aware, to be careful. Don't let yourselves get distracted. Paul, again I mentioned, uses all these military analogies for a reason. And I think for us, if we do not listen to the word of God, the message, these prophetic things, it's like me sitting my partner says, get out the road. The other night he swore at me. And he said, get out the road. We're on a corner in Bishop's Court. He says, you'll get yourself killed. The, the, The car's coming around the corner. And you realize you need these words of correction, advice. If we don't, we're going to find ourselves getting to the end and barely making it. There's some of us who, who not only are approaching the end of the spiritual race, but the physical race as well. And we think in terms of 5, 10, 15 years, how much longer are we going to be on the earth? So it's very, very, very real. So basically, it's being constantly aware that we're in the spiritual battle and that we are listening to God, listening to the, the mouthpiece he gives us of the prophetic and our elders. We, we need to resist. We need to stand firm, stand your ground, be fully prepared, s- stay alert, and be persistent. And if we don't do that, if we leave that as an optional extra, we're going to find that we're going to become casualties and battle weary, falling along the side. I'm not talking about uh, losing salvation or anything like that, but just ending the race when you've fought the fo- fought the fight and you haven't really got to that point. So, if we're not obedient to the word of God, we will continue as the Israelites did. We'll stay with our f- 50, 60, 100 members and we'll s- just walk around in Musenberg us older ones will die off, the next generation will die off, and still nothing would have happened because we just wait for the manna to arrive the next morning and we don't live victoriously. And I think the the challenge is in that verse of of 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, Dylan ended his sermon with it as well. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Can we all say that? So what I want to leave with you is that when you hear God's voice, act on it. Whether it comes from a 15-year-old or a 77-year-old or whoever it might be or the elder, God's word coming through to us in whatever condition it is, in whatever situation we need to be listening to it, and taking it forward. So when you, go, when you go out this week, go to the Gen website. Grab that, that message of Dylan. Just see what it's saying to you. And is there a response that needs to take place both corporately and as individuals?